As we approach our time together this morning, uh, I think that it's important that we come uh, at this particular time to a nation that is many times experiencing some national crisis. And one of the big uh, national crises that we are facing right now is the issue of fatherhood. Now, as a man, when you were born, you have the potential of becoming a man, a husband and a father, a man, a husband and a father. We're created in the image of God and in the likeness of him, we have been created. And every man, because God is one, but he has expressed himself as a father, eternal and immortal and invisible above us. He is Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, God with us. And he is the Holy Spirit, God in us. One God that has been manifested as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So also we who are males who have been created in his image can be a man, a husband, and a father. We're one man, one male, but we can represent three different functions, offices, and yet we work in cohesiveness together. And I think that the order is important because God calls you as a man because he calls you before he calls you as a husband. Boys don't make good husbands because wives don't mind raising children. They just don't want to raise a husband. And so you have to become a man before you become a husband. And then we need to become husbands before we become fathers. And friends, right now in our nation and among the nations, people are getting that all messed up. Immature males are marrying women and it's causing great divorce because they have not become a man. Paul said, when I was a child, I thought as a child, I understood as a child, I reasoned as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. When Dr. Edwin Lewis Cole wrote his book, Maximize Manhood, Ben Kinslow wrote the foreword. And one of the things he said was, being a male is a matter of birth, but being a man is a matter of choice. And I believe that we have to choose to become a man, but we also have to choose to become a husband. A husband is not a command. You don't have to become a husband. You can remain single and unmarried all of your life. But if you choose to become a husband, you have to have manhood that precedes husbandhood. But then husbandhood precedes fatherhood. And friends, I want you to know that the word father is a very far-reaching term. God could have chose any other term for us to relate to him with. He could say, when you pray in the model prayer, pray, Oh God, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Oh Lord, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Almighty one, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. But instead he said, when you pray, pray, Our Father, who art in heaven, God, Almighty one, Lord can be titles. But Father is a relational term. We find this little scripture as Paul writes to a church because Paul, one of the uh, metaphorical terms that he used about his relationship to the church besides being a sent one, which is an apostle. An apostle just simply means a messenger that's been sent with a message. Paul considered the church something that he had birthed and that he was a father over. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul is now reaffirming the fact that he was an apostle. Uh, there came some questions about his apostleship simply because uh, when, uh, when, when, when Jesus ascended on high and Judas had been disqualified by death and by betrayal and Matthias was appointed, the apostles at that particular time had a very narrow view of what, who should take Judas's bishopric in Acts chapter 1. They said, listen, somebody that's going to be an apostle with us in one of the twelve and take this oversight that Judas had, he had to be a man that started with us from the beginning. 
and he was there, was an eyewitness of his resurrection, and he went in and out with us. Paul did not fit that narrow qualification. Paul saw Jesus by revelation, says 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And by revelation, he saw him, and in Acts chapter 9, he was called into the ministry. It was confirmed by prophetic word by Ananias in Acts chapter 9. And now Paul comes back to a church that he has established and others have come in and say, but your man is not really an apostle because he doesn't fit that narrow criteria. And Paul makes this statement in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and uh, verse number 10. He says, for though, for though you have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I have begotten you through uh, the gospel. I put notes on your table so that you guys can track with me. So if you look in the middle of your table, there's some notes that have some of these scriptures on those and there'll be some fill-ins so that you can track with me and that'll help us all able to track together. There's one for this morning, one for this afternoon. And I like to look at this first one that says fatherhood one because it says, for though you have 10,000 instructors in Christ, you have not, you do not have many fathers in Christ. I have begotten you through the gospel. One of the metaphorical terms and allegorical terms we can use is that as fatherhood. Do you know that the men that started this nation were called its founding fathers? Sometimes you hear the terminology, figure of speech, a father of a certain invention, the father of the modern car, the father of electricity. And it seems like that when men use their creativity, their ingenuity and their productivity to create or to make something, people called them the father of that particular time. There are fathers in the faith. And Paul not only referred to the churches that he birthed as like being his little children as something that he had birthed out of his own womb and out of his own loins. But then also those people that he trained and discipled and mentored. Paul will refer to them as sons. And even John Mark, who had great failure on the first missionary journey they went on, he made his way to Peter. And Peter on his letter says, Mark, my son is here with me. So, so this family term is used throughout Scripture. And Paul here says, though you have 10,000 instructors in Christ uh, Jesus, he says, you have not many fathers uh, in Christ Jesus. He says, for I have begotten you through the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel today, men. For the gospel is still the power of God unto salvation. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. Uh, to those that don't believe, the gospel is foolishness. But for those of us who are believing, man, it's the power of God unto salvation. Amen. It's only through the preaching of the death, burial, resurrection, his ascension, his enthronement, and his coming again through the good news of Jesus Christ that God has chosen to cause men to be saved. It's through the preaching of the gospel of the kingdom of God that we're telling people that you don't have to dwell in darkness, but you can dwell in the great light. Amen. It's through the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ that men's lives not only are changed, but transformed. And change means to be altered, but transformation means to be changed in such a way that you never can go back the way that you were before. Transformation. When you and I are transformed, man, we can never go back to what we were before. Listen, the caterpillar, once it becomes a butterfly, it can never be a caterpillar again because it's been transformed. Man, you were meant to fly, not to crawl. Friends, once you and I have been transformed by the preaching of the gospel, then we can never go back the way we were before. And it is God's desire that through the foolishness of preaching, he has chosen that vehicle to transform men. 
English Standard Version says, I put in your note of that particular verse, ESV, it says in 1 Corinthians 4, 15, for though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Though you have 10,000 instructors in Christ, you have not many fathers. And friends, there's lots of people out there that are trying to guide us in spiritual realms. But we have not many fathers. Fathers are those who teach us the way. Proverbs chapter 1, verse number 8 gives us a little glimpse of what fathers bring to the table in their guidance. And in Proverbs 1, 8, and we believe that there are 30-some Proverbs. You and I as a man, if you want to have wisdom, and wisdom is the principal thing, you ought to read a proverb a day. Day number one of the month, read Proverbs 1. Day number two, read Proverbs chapter 2. And friends, a proverb a day will keep ignorance away. 31 chapters in Proverbs, 30 days in most months. Just look at the day on the calendar. Read the proverb from that day. You'll be amazed at how much wisdom you will receive. And here in Proverbs chapter 1 and verse number 8, he says, My son, hear the instruction of your fathers, and do not forsake uh, the, the, uh, the law of your mother, for they will be a gracious ornament on your head and chains about your neck. Here we know that fathers ought to give instructions. And, and this word, my son, speaks of a relational, intimate, personal term. And I don't believe that God just came to give us a dead religion. He came to give us a relationship. He wants it to be relational. He wants us to connect with him on a daily and momentary basis. He wants it to be intimate. He wants it to be close, not distance. Though he is an ascended God, he wants to draw close to us and he wants us close to him. He wants it to be personal. Though he loves everybody, he loves us in particular. In fact, if you want to know the truth, I'm his favorite. (laughs) (laughs) Ah. (laughs) And friends, he wants to know us. My son is a relational, intimate, personal term. Now, fatherlessness is the sin of the day. Dr. Edwin Lewis Cole wrote a book about 1985, about 1983, I think it was, and it was called Maximize Manhood. And one of the things he said was that fatherlessness will be the sin of the 90s. I like to tell you that fatherlessness was not only the sin of the 90s, but now it's the sin of 2000. It's the sin of this new century that we're moving in. What happens when there's no fathers around, both spiritual and natural? I read a study, and it says that when there are no fathers around, Uh, In terms of poverty, uh, it says that children in father-absent homes are almost four times more likely to be poor. Children in father-absent homes, four times more likely to be poor. In 2011, 12% of the children in married couples' families were living in poverty compared to 44% of children in mother-only families. That's the U.S. Census says that about poverty. Listen, children living in a female-headed families with no spouse present had a poverty rate 47.6%, over four times the rate of married couples, says the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. When there's no father in place, it impacts families in terms of poverty. I hate poverty because poverty makes people angry. Angry people want to hurt people. When you hurt people, it causes violence in the community. And violence causes everybody to go crazy. 
And it all goes back to poverty. And friend, when there's no father in the home, one factor, fathers, it makes a difference economically. When it comes to drugs and alcohol abuse, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services says fatherlessness, fatherless children are, are at a more dramatic and a higher risk of using drug and alcohol and getting into that abuse when there's no father in the home. One, fa- one factor, the father factor. Concerning physical and emotional health, a study was done of 1,977 children of age three or older living in, uh, with a residential father or father figure or father figure found that children living in marriage biological parents or who had had fewer externalizing and internalizing behavioral problems in children living with at least one non-biological parent. When there's no father in the home, there's all kind of acting out behavioral problems in terms of physical and emotional behavior problems. Children in single-parent homes are more than twice as likely to consider or commit suicide. One factor, the father factor, and that's found in a study called Demography. Another study in education, point number four, that children in, uh, in grades 7 through 12, just some statistics for you, who have lived with at least one biological parent, the youth that experienced divorce, separation, and even non-union birth, reported lower grades, point averages, and they always lived uh, than those that live with biological parents. Listen, children living with their parents that are biologically married tested significantly higher than those living with non-biological parents. And that's the Journal of Family and uh, uh, the Journal of Marriage and Family. Concerning crime, the father factor. Absent uh, adolescents living in tax families are less likely to engage in delinquency than their peers living in non-intact family. I went into prison. We are, our church works in 16 different prisons in our state. And I went into prison and Father Day's, Father's Day was coming up. And uh, we had taken the cards in for the men that were in that prison facility to write their fathers a Father's Day card. Came back the next month and I said, how did the Father's Day card campaign go? Because a lot of the women... Uh, in our church, they said, why don't you take these guys' cards to write to their fathers? And the prison chaplain reported this. He said, you know that when we had Mother's Day cards in to write a Mother's Day card, Mm. he said to the mothers, we ran out of cards and had to ask that ministry to bring us some more. He said, when we brought in Father's Day cards, two got picked up. That was a personal experience in the state of Ohio. I said, is that true across the board? He said, I'll check with some of my colleagues when I came back the following month. He said, it's consistent across the board. When we get Mother's Day cards, they go out of the prison just like birds flying south in the winter. He said, but when we put out Father's Day cards, he said, many times there's only two or three men in here that can find an identifiable father in their, in their line. And the family structure and family processes and adolescent delinquency study that was done said that from intact families, there's less uh, people going to prison. One factor, the father factor. Concerning sexual activity and teen pregnancy, 
a study using a sample of 1,409 rural southern adolescents, about 151 females and about 558 girls, uh, males, 11 to 18. They investigated the correlation between father's absence and the reported sexual activity, and the result revealed that adolescents in father-absent homes are more likely to report sexual activity at an early age uh, than those that are living with a father. It says the study also raised the fact that being raised by a single mother raises the risk of teen pregnancy. Marrying with a less than a high school education, just a father factor. And also forming marriages with both partners with less than a high school education. How important is that? Because listen, man, when I met with the Ohio Department of, of Corrections, which is the department in our state that oversees prisons, they were sitting down with uh, those of us who were doing human services, life skills, and religious services in the prisons, and they were sitting down talking to us about what they need in the prisons from us for reentry programs. There's a big initiative from the federal government about reentry programs. How can we get these men reconnected with the culture? And one of the things they told us is they said, now, if you guys don't do something, these are our projections for prisons in the next five years. And I raised my hand. And I said, how can you project how many people are going to be locked up in the next five years? They said, we can track a man or a woman, and if they don't graduate from high school here, we know we're going to see them in prison here. We know it. One of the biggest factors that we can give that a father can model to his children is, first of all, a high school education, minimum, or at least a general education degree. We call it a GED in our state. Or a father in the home. There's significant factors. I went back last year to that same department, and they said, we've changed our projections now because we've done an additional study. And they said, we project we're going to need more prisons. And I said, why? Because they said, now our studies are showing if a child can't read at a third grade education by the time they're in sixth grade, then we're going to see them over here in prisons. Reading, Reading a high school education a father in the house are factors that can help us empty out or stop the pipeline from high schools and from the schools to the prisons. And father's factors are important. You say, well, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm a young man. I don't have any kids. Listen, I started fathering when I was 12 years old because I had some little cats that were running around that were seven and eight that were following me around. And I was made very much aware that these guys are watching you as a model scales. I was an assistant Boy Scout leader by the time I was 18 years old. And I was made aware by my scout master, these kids are watching you and using you as a model. You're one of their heroes. You're an Eagle Scout, the third black Eagle Scout in Columbus, Ohio. Started fathering. I started fathering when I was 21 years old before I was even married with a Sunday school class of teenagers. Listen, I was preparing for ministry, and I told my pastor, I want to prepare for ministry. He said, okay, go to teacher's training class. I went to teacher's training class because I was in a Baptist church. We had Sunday school before church. 
And, uh, and I was there. And I wanted to preach to adults, man. I thought I was ready. I was, you know, in my early 20s, I wanted to preach. I wanted to tear up the world. I wanted to be the next Billy Graham and Billy Sunday and all these great revivalists. And, and one Sunday morning, they went out, and the, and the parents would come and drop their kids off so they could go to Sunday school. And the kids would go into Sunday school and say, I got to go to the bathroom and go out the back door, and they'd be going to the candy store and everybody else. And one day, they rounded up all these rambunctious junior high school students, about 16 of them, put them in a room and said, we need a teacher. Everybody in the room looked at me. <laughs> and Scales is my familiar name. That's what my friends call me. And so they said, Scales? That's your class. And I went in there and I looked at those students. They went, there's arms. You know what junior high school students do. Their arms was all crossed. Their face was, it was giving me the mean mug is what we call it today. And man, they didn't want to be in there with me and I didn't want to be in there with them. I said, now listen, here's what we're going to do. I said, we're going to be in here an hour every Sunday from nine to 10. I said, when we get finished, we got to do a lesson review because we had general assembly where all the classes had to review the lesson. I said, so I got to teach the lesson. So here's the deal. You get here at 9 o'clock from 9 until 9.30. I said, I'll teach the lesson. I'll review it so we make sure we got the lesson down. Then for the rest of the time, we'll talk about anything you want to talk about. We'll talk about girls. We'll talk about boys. We'll talk about football. Talk about anything you want to talk about. Start teaching them. And I took responsibility for those kids. That class grew from 19 to 32 to 50. By the time I finished with that class, man, there were 60 kids getting there at 9 o'clock every Sunday morning to get in there. Because you have 10,000 instructors in Christ. But you have not many fathers in Christ Jesus. For I, through the gospel, have begotten you. And friends, I believe that this is a day that we not only need to take responsibility for the children that comes out of our loins, but for the children in the community. See, when we don't take these responsibilities, the statistics I quoted, and I'll review some more this afternoon, are that it impacts the poverty of these children, the drug and alcohol use of these children, the physical and emotional health of these children. Listen, it impacts the education of these children, the crime of these children, and also the sexual activity and teen pregnancy of these children. And all of that impacts us in the culture and in the society. Now, what's my responsibility as a father, whether biological or there. Well, first of all, understand, and let's go to point number one. First of all, having said all of that in introduction, let's move. We need to understand ourselves. A father as a man is, a create, is created for the dominion. You got to see yourself as a man. A father as a man. Manhood precedes husbandhood precedes fatherhood. And the original man, Genesis chapter 1, I put it in King James. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, it says, And God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over everything thing that creepeth upon the earth. Man was created with a dominion mandate. I like to put it like that. Man was created to rule. And sometimes when I start our men's ministry, I say, hello, rulers. And all the men said, hello, ruler. See, we're rulers. We were created to rule. And man, we need to change our mentality that I'm under the foot of the man, that I'm under the, that I'm a victim of this society. You need to see yourself as a ruler because God's original mandate to you as a man is to be fruitful, multiply, replenish your, subdue it and have dominion over it. You and I are to rule and have dominion over the earth. A man was created, watch this and you can fill these in, to rule and to dominate the resources of the earth. 
Every man God gives. Every man God gives. And a father, as a man was created for dominion, he gives you uh, the ability and you were created to rule and to dominate the resource of the earth. God gives you resource to infuse your creativity and your genius and your industry into the resources of the earth to produce products and gifts and services that will help you to establish dominion through business. And God is a creator, but he's given you creativity. And he's given you the ability to infuse as a ruler and as a dominion man uh, your resource and your ingenuity and your creativity in the things that he has given in terms of natural resources. Every one of you men that, that have a cooking business on the side or a catering business, that's what you do all the time. You take raw material from the store, from your garden, and then you create a meal. That's your creativity forming business. Every man that has skill and knowledge on how to fix a car or fix a sink or fix an electrical box, listen to me. You, create, you, you, you infuse your creativity, your knowledge, and your genius into that device. And friends, you were created to rule. That's why men hate for somebody to tell them what to do. Because you weren't created for somebody to tell you what to do. You were created to be a ruler. So you don't even like signs on the road to tell you 35. <laughs> so I don't know who they think they are. Because <laughs> you were created to rule. You were created to dominate. Because you know even though it says 35, you're going to be all right. Driving 65, don't you? Don't you? Look at the man and say, you know you're going to be all right. Go ahead, tell him, tell him. We were created to rule. And the first thing that a father needs to know is he needs to know a father as a man is creative for dominion. Dr. Evan Lewis Cole gave us these final points under point number one, that fathers are the guide, the guard, and the govern. The guide, the guard, and the govern. That's your dominion mandate. The guide means that you lead the way. Man, you were born, and when you're first born, you're a follower, and then somehow you become a manager, and then you become a leader. I believe inside of every follower, there's a leader crying to get out. And men, I believe that you're called to be a follower. Then you become a manager, you help, and then you become a leader. Think about the disciples that Jesus drew as men. He put 12 ordinary men around him. And when Jesus put these ordinary men around him, the first thing he tells them, Matthew 4, 19, follow me and I will make you. 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 This is not an aid. I'm going to have to make you and it is. But if you'll follow me, I will make you fishers of men. We start off as followers. As they begin to make their journey out of Matthew 4, 19, all of a sudden in Matthew chapter, in Matthew chapter 10, he sends them forth as disciples. And a disciple is now someone who's become a student and they know what their rabbi knows. They can do what their rabbi does. And a disciple is one that whose highest desire is to be like his rabbi. They want to be like Jesus. And whatever Jesus is doing, they want to help him. He feeds 5,000. He's breaking bread. They want to get out there and break bread. He's walking on water. One of them says, man, I want to do that too. And they're constantly wanting to now become a participant. Start off as followers. They morph into managers and disciples. But ultimately, they want to be sent forth as an apostle. To guide, to guard, and to govern. To guide, I give direction. To guard, I protect. And then to govern, I rule. And I believe that every, inside of every man, there's that... There's that desire to guide and then to guard and to govern. One of the men I said, what's your first mandate at home? He said, protection, guard. I said, that's right. That's among them. He said, I'm going to protect my family. 
And I said, how do you do that? He said, I protect what they listen to. I protect what they see. He said, I protect what I show them. And he said, and they know that when they get home, this is a safe place. Ain't nothing jumping off in here unless it comes through me. Protection is one of the greatest things we give. And sometimes as Christians, we get kind of like wimps. And we forget that we had a fight inside of us. When you were young, you might be able to fight with your hand. Now you got to pick up something or shoot something. But whatever you got to do to protect. Some of y'all ain't saying nothing. Look at your neighbor and say, you know what he's talking about. Go ahead, tell him. Tell him. You know what he's talking about. Because there's a time when we can throw down. Then there's a time we got to use something. Then there's time to say, I'm too old for all of that. Too old for all that, all that, no, can't do all that no more. <laughs> and friends, to guide, to guard, guard our wives, guard our environment, guard our children. Sometimes we have to guard them from other human beings that are around. Because sometimes daughters migrate towards young men that you know he ain't the right one. And you need to say, ah, oh, I didn't raise my daughter to go out with you. You need to go fix. Come to the house of the Lord. Come to Faith Christian Center. Come to Gospel Tabernacle. Let us fix you. I tell the women at our church all the time, single women. I say, if your father's not around you, when you meet a guy, bring him to me. I said, let me look in his eyes. I need to see how many demons are in there. <laughs> you know, you look at some guys. You know the story, brother. You look at some guys with your daughter, and you say, what's your name? And we are Legion. <laughs> you know. <laughs> My, my name is Legion and we are men. I need to look in there. See what I, you know the story? <laughs> my name is Legion and we are many. I need to know. I said, bring them. Let me meet them. Because I need to see what's happening. Because our responsibility, not only, for, uh, not only for my daughter in my house, but for the daughters in the church. As a guide, guard, and govern, and we have 10,000 instructors in Christ, but we have not many fathers. And a father as a man is created for dominion. Listen, a father is also to protect and correct and direct. And those are from Dr. Edwin Lewis Cole. And to protect also means I serve my family, and they feel secure when they know that there's protection around. We correct, and correct means that we make adjustments when things are off and when things are not going right. And we also direct. We like to steer the family. And I got to pray daily for wisdom from God to steer the family in the right way. Some men start their faith late and their wives are way ahead of them chronologically. The wife came in first, then the man comes in. And you never have to compete with your wife. But friends, you can ask daily, load me down with wisdom. God, just give me wisdom to direct and correct and protect this family. We guide, we guard, we govern as a man. Listen, we, uh, uh, we also protect, correct, and direct as a man. And we help steer this family. And all of this is for one purpose, to have dominion on the earth. And a father as a man is a man that understands and he has dominion in the earth. Number two, brothers, we need to see ourselves as a father, as a mentor. And a father as a mentor, fill that one in, is created to transfer knowledge, wisdom, understanding, experience, and resource. As a mentor, we are created to transfer knowledge, wisdom, understanding, experience, and resource. You see, Proverbs chapter 4.10 says, Hear my son and receive my sayings 
and years of your life will be many, and the years of your life will be many. You see, fathers should be known for their knowledge, their wisdom, and their understanding, their experience, and also their resource. And mentoring is an interesting word because a mentoring relationship is when someone that has knowledge, understanding, wisdom, experience, and resource transfers that knowledge, understanding, wisdom, and resource and experience to a mentoree in an appropriate way and at an appropriate time so to facilitate advancement and growth and development. That's what it's all about, mentoring. Now, there are passive mentoring relationships. And passive mentoring relationships are maybe historical mentoring relationships. I read books and I like to read uh, biographies and I like to read stories of great men. I started off a few years ago reading characters in the Bible, all the women in the Bible, all the men in the Bible. And, and I started reading those characters and then started reading about people there. And those are passive mentoring relationships, historical and sometimes contemporary. People that I'm looking at their lives and drawing wisdom and knowledge and understanding and experience from them. Those people mentor me by their lifestyle that I can read about. There's occasional mentoring relationship and those might be like counselors and advisors that come into your life and they pour some knowledge, some wisdom. I have a financial advisor in my life. I have a preaching coach in my life. I have an academic coach. I have a personal development coach now in my life. And these are people that mentor me to help me go where I'm going in this next journey in the step in my life right there. I'm 60 three years old. And I know that America used to retire everybody at 65. The meters now move to about 70 now that you can still stick around in America still has respect. But my prayer has been, Lord, when you turn my hair gray, make sure that there's some wisdom under that gray hair. See, the old figure of speech used to say, ain't no fool like an old fool. You don't want to be old and foolish. Okay, don't nobody look at each other, okay? Just look straight ahead and smile. You don't want to be old and foolish. It's one thing to be a young fool, a sophomore. But it's another thing to be an old fool. And friends, some of us are too old to go to prison. Well, well some of y'all ain't saying nothing. There are two reasons you don't want to go to prison. If you're too pretty and if you're too old. Now, now, now you choose one and tell your neighbor, I don't want to go to prison because I'm too. Go ahead, tell him, tell him, tell him. Tell him I'm too pretty to go to prison or I'm too old to go to prison. Okay, yeah, you don't want to go to prison if you either one of those two, okay? <laughs> All right, yeah, some of y'all too pretty to go to prison, some of y'all too old to go to prison. And friends, we don't want to be foolish at this season in our life. And friends, a man as a mentor is someone that has wisdom, understanding, experience, and resource and passes it on to someone that's younger or a peer or a mentoree, somebody that wants to learn in an appropriate way and at the appropriate time so to facilitate maturity and advancement and growth. The most intensive mentoring relationship is usually a coach. Think about your athletic coaches. Thinking about personal coaches that coached you in law or coached you in education or coached you in business. Uh, an apprenticeship is a coaching relationship. Those are intense because they know that there are certain outcomes that need to come and that the person that they're coaching, they want to see them maximize their potential and go beyond what they thought they can do. But the most intensive relationship is not 
the, the passive and the occasional and the intensive. The most intensive mentoring relationship is discipleship. Discipleship is the most intensive mentoring relationship because not only do I want to impart my wisdom and knowledge and understanding and experience and resource to a person, but I impart some of my own spirit unto them. Paul said to the church at Rome in chapter one, I want to come among you to impart some spiritual things to you. Paul told the man, Timothy, I want you to stir up the gift that's in you that was put in you, that was put in you by the laying on of my hands. When Moses was told to magnify Joshua in the sight of Israel, God told Moses, take some of the spirit that's on you and put it on him. And in discipleship and discipleship alone, we not only impart knowledge and wisdom and understanding and experience, but we impart some of even our spirit into that person. A man, a father as a man, is created for dominion. A father as a mentor is created to impart knowledge and wisdom and understanding and experience and resource. See, receiving fatherly wisdom will prolong your days and your seeds. One of the reasons I've been able to live long on the earth is that I had some men in my life that said, Scales, you need to avoid that. Scales, you need to stay away from that. Scales, you need to not connect with that right now. I remember the first when my hormones started working, testosterone kicked in. Girls started listening, looking attractive. You know, when you're little, girls got cooties, you know. Yeah, keep them girls away from you. Guys are always clustering when they're young. But then when that testosterone kicks in, you know, oh, wow, you know, where's she come from? And one of the men told me, he said, Scales, you're starting to look at these girls a little long, aren't you? And I said, I am. And then he did this, pointing to his wedding ring. He says, you don't have sex with no woman. Until you have one of these. And then he said, and then you need to have sex with the woman you gave one to and she gave you one, a ring. He said, because that's a sign of your covenant. And I took that and I held hold of that. And coupled together with life experience, because we impart experience, one guy asked me, how'd you remain a virgin until you got married? I said, when I was in junior high school, one of my friends became sexually active with this big old fat girl. And in the day when I came along in the 60s, when you got somebody pregnant, you had to marry them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm going there, brother. I'm going there. And when my friend came back to school and had to pick up a part-time job after school, and he had to marry Shamu. <laughs> stop, stop, stop that, man. <laughs> and I looked at his face, and every day I looked at that brother fast, said, brother, what's wrong? He said, oh, man, I shouldn't have done it. I made a decision based on wisdom, knowledge, experience. I ain't going to do that because I ain't going to be marrying no Shamu now. I was just plain scared, man. And friends, you can learn by life experience or you can learn by others. And friends, a mentor is somebody who has wisdom, knowledge, understanding, experience, and resource that transfers that same to a mentoree in an appropriate time, appropriate way to facilitate advancement and growth and development and maturity. And friends, you and I, somebody's watching us. And my prayer is that by the time we mature in age, 
that people find wisdom because wisdom will help prolong the life of the seed. You see, fathers have the responsibility to train their children. And I wrote Proverbs 22 uh, down on this reference also because in Proverbs chapter 22 and in verse number in the New King James, it says, train up a child, verse 6, in the way that he should go. And when he's old, he will not depart from it. Each child has a unique individual gift and direction. And the Amplified Version of the Bible uh, puts it like this. And I, the bold print is for my emphasis. It says, train up a child in the way he should go. And point number two, that last scripture there, Proverbs 22, 6. And then I put in, in bold print, and this is a parenthetical st- statement, in keeping with his individual gift and bent. And when he is old, he'll not depart from it. Listen. Children are born bent and uniquely predisposed to a particular direction in life. It's God given. And part of the discovery as a father is finding out which way this child should go. I was a football player and a wrestler. I was a big kid when I when I was born. My sons were, were smaller when they were born. And so, you know, I just knew that they were going to be, you know, I thought that they at least have a desire to play football. You know, but when they got, you know, old, all their friends were playing soccer. So my first son came in and announced, I want to play soccer. I said, soccer. Soccer. What in the world is soccer? Wearing these little shorts, chasing a little ball up and down the field. So what kind of game was that? Get a flag if you hit somebody. And I said, what is this? And then some of my international friends said, that's real football. I thought, bro, there ain't no football, man. <laughs> but they were, they were lean. They ran like deers. They could carry muscle mass because of me. But they were short and smaller. So I had to train them up in, the, in their own unique bent. They, my one son has a real bent towards technology. He's a computer guy. Has his associate degree in applied computer technology since high school and since graduation from the technical institute. He's worked in the computer field all of his life. My other son, more interested in nutrition, personal training, works for Abbott Laboratories. My daughter had to train her up in her own unique bit. She, she's the academic in the family. Has her master's degree in business management. The boys, they're like me. You know, they learn, but they learn slower. So they maintain usually high C, B average graduated with almost three point. My daughter, she's a four point. My daughter's the one that can take a book. You ever see those people? Don't ever study for nothing. Take a book the night before the exam, pull it up to their head and go, mm, that was good. And then ace the exam. Go ahead. Go ahead. Tell the man next to you. I hate people like that. I Man, and we're in the, the men of the family in there struggling, sweating to write the paper. And my wife, my wife is like that. My daughter got her brains from her mother. And uh, my wife's like that. My wife went to Bible school because she married a minister. And I said, Teresa, you ought to take some Bible school class. Because as a pastor's wife, that's the way I'm going. I said, they're going to ask you some biblical questions. She didn't even want to go, but she went for me. And I'll be in there studying all day, writing these papers. And I said, Teresa, the essay's due tomorrow. She said, oh, I'll write it tomorrow before class. I'd write my essay, have it all correlated and everything, and I'd get a B plus and an A, a B plus most of the time. She'd get an A minus on hers, wrote it right before class. I said, you make me, you make me. (laughs) 
And some people are bent towards the academics. Some people are bent towards the financial realm. Think about all the realms that our children can be bent towards, and we have to be a mentor to them. Some are bent towards arts and entertainment. Some are bent towards business. Some are bent towards congregational and church and humanitarian work. Some are bent towards direct media. Some are bent towards education. Some are bent towards government. Some are just bent towards family. And if we train them up according to their own unique bent, all of them, though they came out of the same loins and out of the same womb, are not the same. And my responsibility as a father is to train them up in the way that they should go. Which way has God bent them to lean? And when they're old, they'll not depart from it. So I don't frustrate the grace of God in them and us. A father as a, as a man uh, was created for dominion. A father as a mentor was created to transfer wisdom, knowledge, experience, and, uh, and experience and, and resource to his children. And the final one this morning is a father as a model. A father as a model applies to something taken or possessed as worthy of imitation, worthy of imitation. Whether you recognize it or not, there are those that are following you that will imitate you. Examples are one of the most powerful tools in learning. Paul writes to the church at Thessalonica. And when he writes there, he writes back to them. He says, listen, when I was among you initially, I was like a nurse to you. He said, I was caring for you in a gentle and a tender way. And then Paul says in the scripture I put in your notes this morning, in 1 Thessalonians 1, 9, or 2, 9, he says, and you remember, brother, in our labor, he said, I switched from that female role, that nursing role. He says, in our toil, he said, man, as a man, I was working among you. For laboring night and day that we would not be a burden to any of you, we preach to you the gospel of God. And he said, and you're a witness also, God also, how devotedly and justly and blamelessly we behaved ourselves among you who believe. And you know that we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you. Listen to this as a father does his own children. See, example is a very powerful example. And friends, it's a very powerful tool in learning. And when you and I are blameless and blamelessness speaks of people can throw an accusation against you, but it can't stick. You know, in the litigious society that we live in today where everybody wants to bring litigation and now with social media, somebody could start a rumor on you and it could go viral, but it doesn't make it true. And as an example, I need to live and as a model in such a way that no matter what kind of rumor starts on me, it doesn't have any validity to it. Blameless. He said we behaved ourselves among you. We were devoted. We were just. We were blameless. And he says, as a father, I exhorted you. I came alongside to strengthen you and I comfort you. He said, and I charge you as a father that you should work, walk, walk worthy as you're calling. Listen, fill this in. Fathers empower and strengthen their children. And one of the ways I empower and strengthen my children is I empower and strengthen my children by my family model. Now watch this. Let me give you a couple of examples. I can strengthen and empower my children by the way I dress today. We're dressed pretty casually and that's fine. Because, you know, Saturday morning, many of us are going to have a lot of tasks to do when we finish here. So, so jeans and a shirt are fine. But friends, you know, when you and I are old, nobody wants to see your draws. Look at your neighbor and say, pull them up. 
Nobody want to see an old man's drawers, man. Nobody want to see that. No, no, we don't say that nasty. Pull them up. And see, some men got together several years ago and thought that they're going to start rapping and they're going to start showing a little bit of underwear and then more underwear and then more underwear. And now, man, guys are walking down the street. And my, I li- my, our church is in an urban community. We have an apartment building next to her, too. It's one-time residential. It's pretty poor. A lot of vacant houses in there. And people choose to come to our church, about 14 of them. They come from all the suburbs. They come to our church and, and worship there. But you could drive down our street in a given time. You see young men walking down. Now, I mean, their pants are way down here. One day I was out there getting in my car, and I got disturbed. And the brother walked by me, man, and he's walking down there like this, holding up his pants because the back of his pants are down like his. And I'm looking at these drawers. I said, hey, bro, come here. (laughs) Brother came over there and said, yeah, what you want, man? What you want? And I said, bro, you in trouble. He said, I ain't do it, man. I ain't do it. (laughs) I said, no, man. I I said, you in trouble. And he said, why? I said, because if somebody jumps on you, you can't flee or fight. Because your pants is down around your ankles. Who started that mess? Somebody modeled it. First crisscross comes in, they turn their pants backwards. Then somebody else drops them and drops them and drops them. And all of a sudden we become models. Now we got all these men walking around with their pants down. Man, babies do that. Y'all ain't saying nothing. So we got t-shirts in our city now that said, pull them up. Develop your mind, not your behind. Come on. Come on. Y'all need to start some T-shirt campaigns around here and dresses that. And some of our young men, especially in urban areas, they don't see a well-dressed man. And when they see one, they think that you're somebody. I went to do a black history assembly during Black History Month at Harambe School. It's an urban inner city school, free tuition. It's been funded by a church and by vouchers. And these students are doing excellent. They're going off the charts. Christian people are running this school, the Harambe School. They brought me in for Black History Week. And I came in in our Black History Month. And I came in, I was a speaker. And I came in, I had on my suit, I had on my white shirt, I had on my bow tie, my kerchief. I was looking sharp. And if there's nobody around us, Celebrate you, celebrate yourself. And I walked in and they took me to classroom so I could see what was going on. They opened the door and they said, do y'all know who this is? They looked at me and they said, that's Barack Obama. I said, no, 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 no. I said, no, I ain't Barack, man. I ain't Barack. Okay. Went to another class, opened up the door. They saw this well-dressed man. That's Martin Luther King. I said, I ain't that old, man, and he dead, man, okay? Went someplace else, they said, that's Tyler Perry. He does all these movies, you know. <laughs> no, I ain't Tyler Perry. And I asked the guy, I said, what's up with this? He said, they don't see black men in suits anymore. He said, our young men don't know how to dress because they don't see any models. Well-dressed folks, even when you're casual, man, look good casual. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Friends, we model by our words, not only by our dress, but by our words. And we're a model. People pick up our language. How do you speak people? And I like people to have good articulation. Do you know that you could tell people off in such a nice way? That they'll hit the parking lot and say, what did he say to me? (laughs) 
It'll hit them. And we model not only by our dress, but also by our language. Do you know we model when pressure comes, how a man should behave? We model that. Do I tear stuff up? Some people when pressure comes, they just want to tear something up. But, the, but, but, but the, it's not wisdom to tear your own stuff up. You mad you're going to bust your own flat screen TV? Boom. Oh, Lord God, what did I just do? No, 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 no. We model how to handle pressure. We model to our sons what a man is in the home. We model to our daughters what they can expect from a man in the home. Come on now. Why is it that if there's abuse in a home, many times the daughter or the son would just coexist with abuse in their relationship? Family models. Man beats his wife. Daughter said that's what happens in marriage. Men beat women. It's acceptable. We model pressure. We model dress. We model language. We even model, and I close with this, our posture. My son wrestled in the district wrestling champions in our state when he graduated from high school, 135. He's a small guy when he, when he graduated, 135. And, he, when he, and I told him all the way through high school, lift weights, lift weights. No, man, no, man, I got this, I got this. Uh, and, that, and then when he got out of high school, he went to work for Abbott Nutrition and found out about nutrition. They put him on a, you know, everybody had to be on an exercise plan or fitness plan. He started showing, seeing muscle mass. I said, I told you that you're, you're small, but your genetics are like mine. And then he started putting on all this muscle mass, man. And so then he started walking around like this, you know. <laughs> and I said, look at you, man. Now my grandson comes along. My grandson's a little guy. And my son come walking in, you know. Here come grandson. <laughs> Even our posture. Is model. We're models, man. Somebody's going to look at us. Someone's going to imitate us. And friends, I want you to know that we need to understand a father as a man needs to establish that dominion mandate. A father as a mentor needs to pass on the wisdom, understanding, and knowledge. And then father as a mentor needs to pass on, as, needs to pass on uh, wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. And then father as a model. Listen, we pass on. Imitation. What's in your life that somebody needs to imitate? Your faith. Be imitators of me as I am as Christ. My speech. My posture. Imitate how I handle pressure. Imitate dress. Examples are powerful tools in learning. Now I want to do one thing. I want to pray right now. Then we're going to take just a few minutes, then we'll transition. And at the bottom of your page, I have some questions. Whenever we have our men's meetings, I always throw out some questions. for ta- I call it table talk for men to get together and talk about how is your fatherhood as a man? How's your dominion mandate going? How's your fatherhood as a mentor? Questions at the bottom. Who are you passing it on to? And how's your fatherhood as a model? What are you modeling to the next generation? and to those around you. Let's pray. I'm going to let you do some table talk for a minute because adults learn best when they interact. And I'm going to let you engage in some table talk and then we'll break and then Pastor John will come. Let's pray. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we just thank you for our time together. Thank you today, Father.
that we need fathers. And though we have 10,000 instructors in Christ, we have not many fathers in Christ Jesus. Father, we want to change that in New England as we're working on changing it in Columbus because the statistics are staggering, staggering when there is no father in the house. Help us, I pray now, Father, as, uh, as, uh, as we become men, as we become mentors, and as we become models. In Jesus' name. And everyone say it. Amen. Amen.